Let's go. You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California, that for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, they want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars. I'm Bill McBride here with my co-host, Mr. Andrew Martz on the Dollars and Sensibilities podcast with an episode from the feed, bringing you top articles being written to you from today's leading financial publications. Number one, the new Fed trading investment rules, JP Morgan's take on Russia, Ukraine, and the stock market predictions. And finally, split direct deposits and automating your way to financial freedom. Welcome back to another From the Feed episode of Dollars and Sensibilities. Bill McBride here, your host with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Andrew Martz. Andrew, how are we doing today? Fantastic. Let's jump right in. This is this is a heavy episode. It's heavy, but I want to take the I want to lift the light stuff first. Andrew, you're gonna love this. I know I love this. So last week we did an episode and we talked about uh, legislators and senators and, and all the insider trading that goes on, right? And uh, you know, last Friday, I'm listening to the episode back and I'm going, okay. I'm like, yeah, that was the first episode where we kind of had something we talked about and I didn't have an answer. But towards the end of that episode, if you recall, I started saying, well, you know, these legislators aren't going to make legislation to prohibit them from doing things that are profitable. But one solution could be, hey, let's not let these people buy individual stocks or ETFs. Let's uh, relegate them to mutual funds and things like that to prevent them from doing that kind of insider trading. Andrew went home, watched the Olympics that night, fell asleep, woke up with the Olympic channel of CNBC on to the sweet sounds of Shep Smith. Remember that guy? Mm -hmm. I didn't know he was still on. Anyway, Friday night, 11 o'clock, Shep comes up with, guess what? Article from the Washington Post here we have uh, on the outline, Federal Reserve announces new trading and investment rules. Andrew, it's about time. Dollars and sensibilities. We changed the world in a day, right? So what happened was- We changed legislation. (laughs) We did. But here's the funny part, right? It's still not- contradicting the theory that legislators so let's, let's just go let's go overview if you haven't listened to last episode yet we were talking about the the volume of trading of senators and other politically elected officials and is this fair or unfair based on the access they will have to information certainly this has come to light uh, of more recently as a lot of these have been been a little bit more mainstream media so now we have the Federal Reserve announcing new trading and investment rules. So give us an overview of what these rules are. So under the new rules, senior Fed officials are barred from purchasing individual stocks or holding investments in individual bonds, agency securities, cryptocurrencies, or foreign currencies. Senior officials will also be required to provide 45 days of non-retractable notice for purchases and sales obtain prior approval for such transactions and hold investments for at least one year. I love this, Andrew. I I think the one it's, you know, this is buried at 11 o'clock on, on CNBC, right? Like you're not hearing this in the headlines. 
And I think one of the reasons is it doesn't solve exactly the problem that we were talking about, which is senators and Congress people that are doing insider trading. But what these senators and Congress people did last Thursday night, unbeknownst to us on the Friday morning podcast, was they said, yeah, you know what? Insider trading is pretty wrong. Um, we're not going to stop doing it, but we're going to stop the Fed from doing it. <laughs> and any employees of the Fed Reserve, I, I'm laughing because it's not, I, I don't know what else to do, right? But well, I think it's something. So Jer- Jerome Powell was forced to do this. I think he came under fire back in spring of 2020. He started buying stocks just on the the precipice of them, the Fed then pumping trillions of dollars into the economy, which was like rocket fuel for the stock market. And 2020 was a record year and 2021 was a fantastic year. So it's like, hold on a second. Let me get this straight. Part of the success of the stock market is fueled by how much money we have in the economy. Today, 30% of all the money in the economy has been introduced with in the last two years. The person responsible for making the decision on how much money is put into the economy bought individual stocks prior to, <laughs> to the creation of more than 50% of new, new accessible dollars. So crazy. Hmm. <laughs> it's just crazy. And, and you know, even, even making them have a whole period of one year, Andrew, I, it, it, do, it just doesn't solve the problem, right? And I think what it accomplishes, though, for them is deflecting people like us keeping talking about it. It really didn't address what we were talking about, right? It's like, hey, senators and Congress people are, are buying individual stocks ahead of releasing information or legislation that is going to lead to those stocks rising. They're not stopping that, right? But what they're saying is, oh, well, you know, the general public sees a senator, a congressperson, a Federal Reserve employee as all kind of the same. Right. But they're not right. There's legislation. And then there are people on the payroll of the Federal Reserve that are privy to this information that can benefit them and hurt you. Amen, brother. All right. So enough about that. Change the world. Let's dig into an article from Market Insider. JP Morgan says investors should ignore dire stock market predictions and prepare for a risk on rally this spring. So Andrew, you know, we're, we're in 2022. We're, this was, this was released on just to be clear, February, Tuesday, February 22nd, which is when you sent me this, uh, this article just two days ago. So we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, February 24th. There it is. So, what a, oh, what a difference a week makes or two so days. Hold on. So first, so JP Morgan predictions prayer for a risk on rally this spring. Investors should ignore the flood of bearish stock market calls and prepare for a risk on rally. The bank says it doesn't expect rising geopolitical tensions between Russia and Ukraine to last. Uh, inflation could be about to peak. Finally, we believe on should look through the widespread slowdown calls that are currently in vogue and stay bullish. Now, I got two interesting thoughts about this. So first of all, if you're not being caught up over the last number of weeks, Russia has accumulated 150,000 plus troops on the border of Ukraine. There's certainly been a lot of tension in that part and in, in region of the world. And as of Tuesday, JP Morgan was saying geopolitical tensions between Russia and Ukraine aren't going to last. Well, as of 
5.45 Ukraine time this morning, Russia launched an attack on major cities all over the Ukraine. Airstrikes, they were Ballistic raiding missiles, Cher- uh, Chernobyl and the storehouse there and of all this toxic and, and nuclear waste. So a lot of like really bad things are happening here over the last 12 hours uh, or so. So they got that wrong. Well, the markets. I, I, wait, hang on. I don't think they did, right? So let's let's get behind the spirit of the article first. The article is saying that the tensions won't last. We're in day one, right? If if who knows? Is it World War Three? Is it just something that fizzles out in two weeks? Does somebody come in and save the day? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the the tension mounting. It's come to fruition today. What's that going to do to the stock market by the springtime? Now, we could see an end to this in a week from now. We could see an end to it tomorrow morning. We, we don't know. So we don't yet know if JP Morgan's wrong in their call. I think what they're trying to say is what I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago prior to the escalation of the tensions is, hey, where do you position your money in case of this conflict going on and dragging on. And they were saying, you know, historically, that's probably, that's probably the question that every single investor listening to this right now is asking. What exactly, do I do? Exactly. Right. So we go immediately to defense stocks, right? Okay. So, um, historically, uh, you know, wars are good for defense stocks. Um, but when we dig into Ukraine and the natural resources that they have, it provides a whole other spectrum of insight into what, what could be invested in that could be either profitable or could be could be a big loss. Now, the market in general, Andrew, I mean, we've seen it time and time again, it doesn't dig into these individual details. It operates in general, in generality, right? So I, and it sounds like sounds like I'm saying something redundant, but more often than not, like we saw today, the market reacts emotionally and then resorts to fundamental tactics. So today we wake up this morning, look at the market and guess what? It's down, you know, two and a half percent, right? We close, we take, you know, turn our heads, go about our day. And then we close up two and a half percent, big, big swing. And I would say that this JP Morgan call it's too early to call. Like, I, certainly the author of this article, uh, or or the J.P. Morgan representative that was saying, "Hey, you know, we see a, we see a bounce back in spring," was referring to the ten percent or so dip that we've experienced in the past six to eight weeks. Time will tell if they're correct, uh, but for today, we, we saw just a microcosm of uh, what an emotional event can do to a fundamental uh, stock market in just in general. So I think, that, so I, I'm not going to disagree with your, some of your call here on like defensive and look at the, the natural resources in Ukraine and could there be opportunity, but I would at least argue or contest that a little bit with, is that just another form of speculation? So one of the things that I always try to tell people is you will never win trying to time the market. Something that I think you would agree with me. Oh, 100%. So you can't time the market. 
So with that thesis is trying to speculate on areas of the market, defensive, natural resources, you know, natural gas, oil, and shifting and allocating our portfolios in these times of uncertainty, just another form of, of market timing. So my response to events like this is simply, are you appropriately risk adjusted heading into this? Because we're not going to be able to control, is this going to be over by tomorrow? Or is this going to take the next three months? Or is this going to take six months? Is this the beginning of World War III? Or is this just a skirmish that NATO is going to shut down by the time we all wake up on Monday morning? We do not know the answers to that questions, though we can speculate on, on what we believe. So if I'm thinking about a long-term term investor, I want to know, can my portfolio handle the volatility like we just saw today? So February has been a very volatile month. We're on track to be one of the worst months since 2008 as far as like total index performances. And depending on how you're allocated, you could be feeling it a lot more than what the market is showing. You can be feeling it a lot less. So the analogy I usually use is the roller coaster one, right? So people can agree like, yeah, the stock market and investing can sometimes feel like a, a roller coaster. Well, the time to switch seats on the roller coaster is not while you're screaming down <laughs> the big drop. The time to switch seats on the roller coaster is when you are safely parked back at the, the gate and you can get out of that front seat because you don't like that drop and you can get into the middle of, of the, the train because it feels a little bit more safe there. You're not the first one to go, to go over the ledge. The same should be true with your portfolio. It's why regular assessments of how much risk am I comfortable with? What are my needs? Am I taking income from my portfolio? Or for somebody like me, I'm not touching these things for, for 10, 20 plus years. Just before we started recording, I was sharing with you like what my portfolio has experienced over the course of this year. It has not been a fun experience. Am I worried about it? Not really, because it's not money that I, I need right now. So it's actually quite exciting because I know that I can continue to add to these portfolios, make sure that I'm comfortable with the risk, make sure my wife is comfortable with the risk. And in that, we're just building more and more shares. We're owning more of the, the companies and the investments that we want to own. And whether it takes six months or six years, we'll, we'll be okay because we're continuing to add to that portion of the allocation. We have enough cash. We've got our needs covered, we've got income, we've got all those bases and other parts of our plans. But I think the timing aspect, which is what a lot of people, it's a lot of calls I'm getting right now. What can we take advantage of? Where should we reposition to? Not that tactical allocations and tactical rebalancing is, is a bad thing, but trying to predict what parts of the market are going to succeed and fail and when they're going to do. And I mean, you look at, just go back a, a few years, right? 2015, we were looking at like all time low oil and natural gas prices. And now it's, you know, we're getting up to these like $100 a barrel type numbers. And are we going to go back there? You know, is this whole Ukraine thing going to, we're going to see a huge spike in, in energy costs. Is this going to change chip prices and the cost of vehicles? And all Who knows? Andrew, two things about what you just said. You know, I, I, I love it all. I agree. Obviously, we come from the same same kind of background, right? As term in terms of financial advisors, um, when you're adding money, and I, I did the same thing, right? I saw I saw this recent market downturn. And I'm going, hey, I'm going to add, but we tell ourselves that 
hey, you know, this is the smart thing to do, add when we're down. I question for you and for myself, when I'm adding something, would I be doing that if the market was up in the last two weeks? Would I be doing it if the market was flat in the last two weeks? And I, and I hope the answer for, for both of us is, is yes, right? So it's, it just provides to me being able to add money to my portfolio from my paycheck in times when the market is down 10% from, let's face it, an all-time high. We're not saying the market's down 10%, right? We can't just leave that sentence hanging there. Mm-hmm. Down from the all-time high, right? Right. That excites me, right? That I that the money I was going to put in there anyway, let's, let's be real. Smart investing, you put it in there anyway. If the market's up, you don't try to time it. Again, going back to what you were saying about timing, you can't time the market. You can't do it. So all it really does for your psychology is is get you a little bit more excited that this time when you put money in from your paycheck to your 401k or to you know your brokerage account, this time you're getting things at a little bit of a discount. Yay for me. That's one thing. The other in, in relation to timing and the kind of phone calls you said you're, that you're getting is I think people generally want to be reactive and say, hey, you know, what can I do to take advantage of this? Like the pandemic, right? Bill, can I buy Zoom? Can I buy, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, whatever? Like, what, what do I buy that's going to benefit from this global event that is, um, you know, painful to the stock market in general? The allocation should remain as it is. However, Andrew, I'm going to, I'm going to argue that if you have a portion of your portfolio, like a lot of people I know do, that is allocated to let's call it gambling. Let's call it risky investing, either cryptocurrency or meme stocks or just that penny stock or, or internet stock that you, you bought on the hopes that it would double or triple. Well, if you're going to do this, if you're going to make a tactical move to try to take advantage of what's going on in the geopolitical arena, that's the money to do it with. It's not, you don't sell your blue chips because Russia fired missiles this morning, right? You don't just sell and take the capital gains off the table or put the capital gains on the table and and start paying taxes on them because you think that this is going to be a world changing event this week. Interesting. So you're, you're doing it with, you're saying your tactical positioning is in your high risk bucket. So these things you're talking about natural resources or defense stocks or other potentially beneficial investments as a result of the catalyst of what's happening geopolitically is is a part of your like risk on or high risk allocation. Let me say it like this. If you're going to add to it this week, like you were going to last month or the month before, it might look a little bit different in terms of how you allocate it. Not not a huge significant portion, but I'm saying if you got a hundred thousand dollar portfolio and you're putting ten thousand dollars in today, keep buying the Home Depot, keep buying the Disney, keep buying the Apple. Disclaimer: Not investment recommendations. Not investment recommendations. <laughs> not licensed by the NFL or any of its affiliates. All right. So, but but of that ten grand, yep. two of that ten grand, you put in Raytheon or Boeing or whatever you know. Or, or, or one of the defense stocks. If can, you want, can we also can we also agree? I, I can get down with that. Can we also agree that it, it's okay if you don't? Like it's okay if that yeah, that yeah, normal yeah. automated 
contribution just goes into the same allocation that it has six months ago and anything else, which I don't know if you did this on purpose or not. It sets up our next article beautifully. Uh, so talking about split direct deposits, you have the title article, split direct deposit, a simple way to save more money. This is coming from bankrate.com, one of my favorite websites. Essentially, they're talking about ways to help people boost their, their savings. And the crux of all of this is centered around automation. Now, when you're looking at your personal financial situation, one of the best ways to get ahead is through automation. Automate your bill pays, automate your savings plans, automate the contributions to your 401k, automate the investment plans that you have. Automate as much as you can, you can do so that the decision-making and the mental space that it's going to take on what should I do now or the energy expended is reduced. When you're in a position of making these financial decisions and you're setting up your automations, it is more likely that you are going to be more excited about things like saving and investing and putting into retirement accounts, opposed to when you actually receive that direct deposit, when you receive the, the paycheck, you will probably be more excited about hanging out with your friends on the weekend, taking that weekend trip up to, you know, to the beach house and or buying that new thing that you've been, you've been putting off or, or waiting for, or you just saw the commercial or Instagram ad for. So Bankrate talks about one way to do that, a tactical way to do that is through split direct deposits. And if your employer allows split direct deposits, that's just a, an automation feature, right? So I'm going to put, you know, if I get paid two, 2,500 bucks every two weeks, I'll put a thousand of that into an account that's harder to touch. And $1,500 of that goes into my main checking account that's used for savings and, or excuse me, used for paying rent and paying bills and getting food and all that, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Andrew, you know, we've, we've known about this and, and we haven't talked about it before. Um, the split direct deposit, right? So if you get a paycheck and your paycheck is, let's just say $2,000 and you find yourself maybe doing the cocktail napkin financial planning in your head and going, yeah, you know what I really want to do? I want to save $200 a month and put that in a, in a special account. And I'll, I'll tell you the quick story, Andrew. Um, my father years ago, uh, it didn't, he wasn't a financial guru by any means, but I remember he told me, gosh, I don't know how old I was, but you know, in the eighties, he said, take your money, right? Take a little bit. He, long story short, he put 25 bucks a month and he called it his Christmas account, right? So the, mm -hmm. the, um, the Teamsters Federal Credit Union had a system where his paycheck, you know, they didn't have direct deposit back then. He got his check and went and cashed it. But what he would do is he would take a 20 and a five and he would give it to the people at the credit union. And it was a separate account than the checking your savings, right? That he said, do the math, Billy, 25 bucks a month come Christmas every year. Santa Claus comes. I got $300 to buy you and your three sisters presence, right? And, you know, at the time I went, well, okay. But now you see- I mean, see that's the, cool. You're getting gifts. Yeah, right? I was like, well, that's how, that's how Santa Claus does it, right? <laughs> but, but now I, I, see, I see the automation process, Andrew, and automation has been around for 20 plus years. Direct deposit is, you know, I think 98% of companies offer direct deposit, certainly all large companies. 
the, the psychological part of it though, is that for most people, automation sounds like a big deal. It seems painful to set up and it seems limiting because once you do it, then you got to do it. I'm here to tell you, I was one of the late subscribers to automation and direct deposit. I was, you know, like my dad, give me my check, give me my hand. I'll go cash it. Right. I'll take it to the bank. And that's a fun trip for me. That's a waste of time, man. Right. But, (laughs) but so automation before seems painful and limiting afterward. It is freedom. It frees up time. It also gets you your money faster because direct deposit hits at midnight. Right. It also allows you to automate the saving part of it, which provides you additional freedom. And here is a term that I'm going to introduce that I, I saw in an article a little while ago, Andrew. It's called, it's called brain dumping. You inevitably will think in a given day for at least a half an hour about the direct deposit going into your checking should I put money in my brokerage account? Should I put money in my savings account? Should I put it somewhere else? Should I pay off this bill, that bill? Should I make my credit card payment? In a given day, you will spend a half an hour thinking about that. A brain dump is the ability for your psyche to just take all that thought and put it aside because there's no reason to think about it anymore. You are on autopilot. You don't have to think about sitting down and writing a check to make that credit card payment, to move money from your checking to your savings. The banks are set up where they can do that. So in addition to this article, you know, saying, hey, your employer, if your employer doesn't offer direct deposit splits, meaning that you can't take your $2,000 paycheck and put 1800 in the checking and 200 in the savings, guess what? Fine. Employer, keep putting $2,000 in the checking. You just go up to the teller at your bank and say, hey, guess what? I want to move every month on the first of the month $200 from my checking to my savings account. Done. So you're you're showing your age because you don't have to go to the teller. You go to your phone (laughs) and you log on to your app and you just set it. You just set it up. So to your point, like you can you can automate this anyway, right? They're talking about split direct deposit, which is really cool. The scary part of this article were some of the surveys that they had, right? Mm. So Bankrate did a survey themselves and they've been doing this for over a decade now. So they do this every single year. And currently, according to this survey, four in 10 out of Americans do not have or do have enough money to cover an unplanned expense of $1,000 or more, four in 10. So that means 60% of Americans do not. And this is the highest- Four four in 10 would need to borrow money. So 40% don't have enough to cover a $1,000 emergency. Think, right? Nope, I'm reading that right. Only about four in 10 Americans have enough savings to cover an unplanned expense of $1,000, meaning more than half would need to find other means to pay for an unexpected expense. So, six, so 44% of the 1,004 US adults surveyed have enough money saved. This number reflects the highest percentage capable of covering the expense in the eight years of, of polling, up from 39%. So, this is So this is positive, but also very scary, right? Meaning the amount of people that they're surveying, which again, it's, there's problems with surveys because small sample size, but Mm. it's increasing every single year. So more and more people have, have a thousand dollars or more. We're still talking about more than 50% of people couldn't cover a thousand dollar expense. And the fed had a study in May of 20. 
2021, that said 36% of U.S. health households couldn't afford a $400 emergency. And, and, and this is... Yeah, this is scary stuff. Andrew, let's face it too, right? Between these statistics and what we know about inflation and and what things are costing, mostly when we hear about emergencies or concerns from emergencies from clients, it's you know automotive or medical, right? And I'm here to tell you, you know, it used to be used to be you could get your flat tire fixed for 40 bucks, right? Now, depending on what kind of car you're driving, depending on what kind of rims you're riding on, that that $400 emergency could simply be a flat tire, right? And that's where that's where it gets real scary and that's where we kind of relate back to last week's episode about you know, people saving and, and how much uh, how much they're not saving as a percentage of income compared to 20, 25 years ago. So here, here's what respondents said to this. So 44% of people said that they would, how would you pay for a thousand dollar expense? 44% just pay from savings. 20% said charge to a credit card and pay over time. 15% said pay it, but cut spending on other expenses. So that's, that's interesting. That 15%, right? Because pay it, but then cut spending and in, in other expenses. So that seems like there's another 15% of people who could afford the $1,000 expense. They're just, they're going to have to change their, their lifestyle. Yeah. And, and the devil's in the so details of these statistics so now, too. Now I'm curious about what, like if they can, if there's an emergency and they can cut expenses. These aren't mission critical expenses. And to me, having a thousand dollars in a savings account or really three to six months worth of expenses in a savings account as your cash cushion, that is a mission critical <laughs> uh, you know, item. Yeah. And if there are areas that you're spending on lifestyle wise in lieu of doing that, and you need the thousand dollar emergency to force you into a position, th- this is the type of psychology with, with savers that I think is getting people into a lot of trouble. Right, you you, you got to make saving cool. <laughs> you got to make saving sec- sexy because you have to take care of that first. And to your point before, like automation, essentially what you're doing is you're setting up rules. Right, these are rules. When this happens, when I get paid, I save X. Right, like if this, then that. That's a rule. And to your point before, like it seems like ah, oh, is this restrictive and I can't do it. No. The analogy I I like to think of, uh, to your point, is the guardrails on a freeway. Guardrails on a freeway actually allow you to go faster, not slower. Guardrails are there so that you are staying in the lanes when you're traveling at, at high speeds. So to the same idea, when you are saving money inside uh, automated inside of your, your savings plan. You don't have to waste erroneous energy and thought process and time of where is this money going to go? What does that do? It frees up creativity. It frees up more space for you to think about how can I get that promotion? How can I start that side business? You're not thinking about, did I pay this? Did I pay that? Should I save here? Did I put money in my 401k? Because right. it's already happened. So you know you're, you're being financially prudent. Now you've got all this time back that you can devote towards doing other more meaningful things that will help bring, bring fulfillment in all areas of your life, whether it's personal relationships, your physical health, or the, you know, your future financial health. Yeah, Andrew, and don't forget, don't, don't be afraid to get it wrong. If you automate your savings, 
do the amount that you think would be lightly painful. You can always change it. And I think that's one of the reasons why people don't do that because they feel if they start it and then they're, they're, they're tight next month that they can't change it back. You can a direct deposit from the employer. Yeah, maybe it's a pain to walk down to HR and get the uh, the form to do it or whatever. Uh, but like you said, on, on your phone, you can go from checking to savings. And if you want to save $200 a month, and then you find after two months that you're you know back to eating ramen noodles because now there's $400 in your savings account, well, you dial it down to 150 the next month. Or conversely, right? You put 200 bucks in there and you find yourself with a little bit extra money in your checking account, you up it. Up it until it is just so much that it's not really painful to you, right? So that you're just, you're saving enough to where your lifestyle, you know, we can get into the whole financial plan of, of, of life, but, but I think for the initial step, you save enough automatically to where it doesn't impact your lifestyle too much negatively. I like I like the first way you described it. It should it should be slightly painful. Yeah. Right. It, it, so, and I agree. There are steps in this journey. So, if you're doing nothing, doing anything is better than nothing. Right. Any automation, five dollars a week. Right. Twenty dollars a paycheck. Anything is better than than nothing. Even though the twenty dollars might not be quote unquote painful, but ideally, that sweet spot is where it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll challenge people and we'll, we'll look at a budget and we'll look at what they're making and what they're spending. And I'll recommend a savings amount that I know is going to raise their eyebrows. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. that hurts a little bit. Yeah, it should. Yeah. Yeah. It should It should feel a little bit uncomfortable, but it should not put you in a place where it it hurts. Right. It, right? This this is the the gym analogy is probably the best, right? You should be working out and and pushing your body to a place where it's it, you're getting yourself uncomfortable, you're sweating, you're breathing heavy, but it, you're not injuring yourself. You don't hurt yourself, so it prevents you from saving or investing or working out in the future. So get right up to that threshold you're like, "Ooh, I got to think about this." And if that's if you're having that thought, you're probably in the right place. Yeah. And and look, if you're dialing back that we talked about the the latte effect and the $30,000 problem versus the $3 problem, if if you dial it back anyway, where's that 3 extra dollars going, right? Put it in the savings. And if you don't have it available to you, it makes that decision to get that cheaper latte a little bit easier, right? So That's right. Covered a lot today, Andrew, for Dollars and Sensibilities, Bill McBride, Andrew Martz, make sure to like, subscribe, share, and join us every single Friday. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening. Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are investment advisor representatives and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.